Jeffrey Lichtman for Beyond the Legal Limit. Took a one-week uh, hiatus last week. Now, the reason I couldn't do the show last week is that I was preparing for a sentencing in Norfolk, Virginia, which I had on Thursday. So I was working on that most of the weekend. And the case was a young black businessman who started a home health care business, which helped individuals with daily living assistance after they were discharged from the hospitals. The business had about 62 to 75 employees during the pertinent four-year period, and the defendant was 100% owner and CEO. And my client started this business, this is the part that gets weird, at the ripe old age of 26, just four years after graduating Norfolk State University with a 2.1 GPA. This kid had a difficult upbringing in that his parents basically abandoned him when he was a child. They broke up and he was raised by his grandparents. His grandfather died when he was a, a young boy and he grew up not in a great area where uh, many of his friends ended up either dead or in prison. But he decided he wanted to do something different. He wanted to become something and he just worked really hard. Uh, started with nothing and worked really hard. He graduated college and then continued with more education and was actually accepted to start business school about a year ago before this case reared its ugly head and he had to put it off at the University of Maryland. So he had gone back and gotten uh, some continuing legal education, some certificates. He had taken courses and it's clear that he'd been trying to, to better himself. Anyway, he had no idea what he was doing with his company. Money was tight. He couldn't pay the company's bills uh, with no experience, no business experience. With all these responsibilities, he started taking money out of his employees' paychecks for employment tax, which is what employers do, but normally they remit it to the IRS. Instead of remitting it to the IRS, he used it to pay bills. And he also paid himself a good salary. I don't want to make it sound like it was completely altruistic paid himself a good salary. He leased himself a Mercedes. He paid his daughter's private school tuition. And finally, the IRS figured it out. And in late 2016, they began an investigation of him. And at that point, it was a civil investigation. All he had to do was settle with them. And he didn't have the ability to write a check because it was a decent amount of money. And we're talking about 800000 or so. And he couldn't pay it all off. But if he had just simply met with them, come clean, and worked out some kind of payment plan, it never would have gone to criminal. It would have stayed civil. He met with the IRS numerous times. He hired accounts. He hired lawyers. But despite making offers that were too low, surprisingly, the IRS never accepted. And he also lied about his assets. He didn't tell the IRS about certain money he had, which he could have used to pay off some of the balance. Certain accounts he didn't tell them about. And this went on for a few years, and the interest and penalties kept on adding up. Finally, the IRS gave up on him and sent the matter to the U.S. Attorney's Office for a criminal prosecution, which took another year or so before he hired me. And as soon as I got into the case and saw the situation, I told him he had to fix the mess immediately because it just keeps getting worse. You can't just keep digging a hole and think that it's going to get better for you, which he did by accepting a guilty plea. And the sad part is that had he had the right guidance, if I had been his lawyer in 2016, I would have forced him to make a, a deal with the IRS just to avoid criminal prosecution. But as I said, he didn't have a lot of guidance and didn't have a lot of experience. Now, in a New York federal court, in my view, he gets no jail for this. You've heard me talk about a client of mine, the rapper Fat Joe, who didn't pay taxes. 
didn't file taxes for four years and received just four months in prison. Um, I've had other clients that have evaded upwards of a million dollars in taxes owed federally and have avoided jail. They've gotten downward variances um, from what their sentencing guidelines, the advisory sentencing guidelines range would be. I've had clients who've employed illegal immigrants in big businesses. They've evaded taxes. They've, by not, you know, obviously paying for those illegals or paying them off the books, they've sheltered the illegals and they didn't get any jail time. In uh, regarding the case in Virginia this week, um, as I said, my client evaded less than a million in taxes in comparison. But unlike the others I just mentioned, he was a kid when this happened. He had no guidance. He wasn't a sophisticated businessman. He wasn't an older person. The deal that was offered by the feds, as I said, was an advisory sentencing guideline range of 30 to 37 months. And the way it works with the guidelines, they're not mandatory. They used to be. Every crime has different attributes to it that you add on points, and eventually you translate those points into a, into a, a range of months. And that's just an advisory range, like the amount of money that you commit in a fraud. The more money you commit in the fraud, the higher the guidelines are. If you use sophisticated means to commit the fraud, you add some more points on. If you've robbed more than 10 people, you add some points. If you're a leader or an organizer, you add some points. If you have a lengthy criminal history, you add some points. The only way you can go down is if either you uh, uh, are a minor participant or you accept responsibility and plead guilty. So the offer that we had was 30 to 37 months based on the amount of uh, tax loss. And the prosecutor was kind enough. I begged and pleaded and knocked off two points for sophisticated means, which clearly there was in this case because he was covering up uh, his uh, failure to uh, pay the taxes and where his money uh, was. And I got it down to 24 to 30 months and the government requested 27 months as a sentence in between 24 and 30. Now, the government argued that my request for a a lower sentence, I had asked for um, a year or less. It should be denied because their position was that people that are convicted of similar crimes with similar advisory guideline range should get the same sentences, that there should be no disparity between similarly situated defendants with the same attributes in their crime. Now, we had a black judge in a conservative area of Virginia, a judge who was nominated and and put in by President Trump. And it's, it's kind of a scary thing when you have a black defendant before a black conservative judge. For some reason, in my experience, it's been that black conservative judges tend to forget the advantages that they received when getting their nominations. And they judge black defendants very harshly. And it's usually we get some kind of speech, uh, some variation of, well, I succeeded and he could have succeeded as well without committing a crime. And it's frustrating because, you know, maybe this judge wasn't raised by his grandparents and had to put himself through college with no guidance. And maybe if the judge wasn't conservative, he'd have a, a much longer wait to get a judgeship. And I want to explain why, because as most black judges, you, as you can guess, are Democrats, it's much harder to be a black Democrat judge and get a federal judgeship because you've got a long line that you're waiting in. So a Democrat that's in, in the White House picks, he's got a lot of people to pick from. When you are a, a conservative, uh, you have a conservative in the White House, and you're looking for a black judge, well, guess what? The, the line is very short. There's just not that many black conservative judges. So sometimes black judges forget that, you know, they've gotten some breaks too in life and wouldn't be so bad to give one out as well. And I'm not suggesting that this judge 
with some kind of affirmative action hire. He actually was really, really well prepared, very smart. And I thought he was actually pretty decent, notwithstanding how the case ended. And the main point that I raised at sentencing, which was while the government was concerned about uh, the disparity of sentences for defendants convicted of similar crimes, why aren't they concerned about the disparity in the backgrounds, the upbringings, the lack of guidance uh, of defendants, uh, which led them to committing the crime that they're being sentenced for? And I brought out as an example is what if it was me that was standing in front of him with a tax evasion case? And I'm, you know, I've got a law degree. I've got an undergraduate degree. I'm a sophisticated (laughs) uh, taxpayer. And I know that I have to pay the taxes. And I've had everything handed to me. I was, you know, I grew up in a stable sort of household. I had no debt when I graduated law school. I had none from college or law school. I had pretty much everything handed to me, and it would have been a shock if I wasn't successful. So as I said to the judge, I said, if my tax evasion number was the same as this, as this defendant, you're going to give me the same sentence, even though I grew up knowing better, and maybe he didn't grow up quite the same way. I raised that uh, point, and the judge was moved by it, as I'll mention later. And I also said that by putting him in jail now for a significant period of time, it's just going to set him back again. This is a guy that started with nothing, busted his ass, and the crime occurred five years ago. It ended five years ago. So putting him back in jail now for a significant amount of time, he won't be able to continue bettering himself by getting his business degree, um, his MBA. And, you know, I know that you're thinking, oh God, just shut up. Stop with the violins. This guy committed tax evasion. I pay my taxes. I get it. I get it. I'm a defense lawyer and, you know, sometimes... I I see things, you know, strictly from the defense side, but it was frustrating for me because putting the kid in jail, it's, it's not going to do a thing really, but just screw his life up completely if it hasn't been screwed up completely already. Now, as I said to the judge and the judge, I looked up and he had been a prosecutor before and also a public defender. I said, in your career as a prosecutor, as a judge, as a public defender, have you ever had a case before you? Um, of a young black kid who at 22 years old had 60 employees and evaded taxes. Usually a black kid that's showing up in federal court is there for drugs or violence, gangs. This defendant wanted more for himself. He achieved more from nothing, but he screwed it up. And we should have some mercy for him and give him a second chance for that reason alone, that he wanted to become something and, and work worked hard to get it. I felt that he was a lot different from where he grew up, the people he grew up with, and perhaps I would have been from the people that I grew up with. I was, you know, privileged in a lot of ways. As I said, the judge told me he was moved by the argument, but he gave the kid 24 months, which was less than what the government asked for. But I felt that it was unfair, especially because the same crime in New York, as I had said, in many other states would have ended with a probationary sentence. And this is, you know, incredibly frustrating work at times, I I find. I mean, you you work really hard and you don't always get the result you want. And just, you know, it's hard to watch human beings are being affected by this. Now, on on the way up to Virginia, I was with my my law partner and we were talking about Wordle. And this is a big uh, shift here. I only started playing a few months ago. I'm assuming you know a little bit about Wordle. I only started playing a few months ago, was late to it, but I'm pretty good at it. Um, I don't know that being good at it is uh, any kind of proof of intelligence because I don't think Wordle is very difficult. 
and I succeed, I you know solve the puzzle like 98% of the time. I don't think that it's necessarily a harbinger of things to come in, intelligence-wise. But I do believe that if you stink at Wordle, there's a pretty decent chance that you're an idiot. So my partner, we were talking about it, he told me that he had solved that day's puzzle in four guesses, which is good. And then he made a fatal mistake. He sent me a screenshot of his game for the day. And it chilled me to the bone when I saw it. Now, I'm assuming you know how the game works. Uh, I want to explain. Wordle is a game that's played once a day, and you play it just from your phone. It's just go to a website, and you play it. And players have to guess a mystery five-letter word, and that's the Wordle. And they have six chances. You have six chances to do it. On your first guess, the first line, a player just puts in a random five-letter word. And the game will then flip over the letters and they'll either turn green, yellow, or gray. A letter in green means that you've gotten one of the letters from the the wordle, the correct word, and it's in the right place. If you get a yellow letter, that means uh, that you've got a correct letter, but it's not in the right place. So the next time you guess, you want to take that yellow letter and you want to move it to a different slot, guess a new word. You have to guess a word each time it has to actually be a word. Now, if you have gray letters, if the letters are gray, they should be avoided completely because they're not in your final word. And you don't want to use those letters over and over again because you're not, you're just wasting letters when you could be using other letters and sort of by a process of elimination, figuring out what letters are left in the word. Anyway, so his first guess was pious, which is a good first word. It's got a lot of vowels, P-I-O-U-S. And the P-I-O and U were gray, so that was a bad guess. And the S at the end was yellow. So you knew that you have one of the five letters, the S, but you've got to put the S in a different place when you guess your next word, not at the end. Here's what happened next, which really threw me for a loop. His second guess was scour, S-C-O-U-R. Yes, he put the yellow letter S in a different place, so he gets a gold star for that. But he not only used the O and the U again, which were gray from the first word, but he put them in the same place. P-I-O-U-S, S-C-O-U-R. So when he had his screen, he had the two words, pious and scour, on top of each other, and he had gray O, gray U, gray O, gray U, right on top of each other. He knew that those were incorrect letters from the first guess, yet he did it again in the second word. And and I I tell you, I looked at it and I'm like, I wonder if he like banged his head this morning because it's weird. And I said to him, listen, there's something that's wrong with you, something wrong with your brain. You need to take this screenshot. You need to show it to a neurologist and have him look at you. I mean, this guy's doing work with me on cases involving life and death, and his brain is clearly not working. Now, I'm going to tell you that I'm going to keep a close eye on him for the next few months. I may require him uh, to have an MRI, a brain scan. I'm not sure how I'm going to handle this, but chilled to the bone. Anyway, so I was starting to think about other people that have worked for me in the past, and uh, I was laughing, thinking about it. One of them, the first associate I had was a young woman who was wonderful, very hardworking, very aggressive. But as typical of some defense lawyers, including me, she was a bit delusional. Now, you can be delusional and convince yourself that you're going to win every trial. That's me. That's not a bad thing when you're a defense lawyer because these cases are really hard, hard to win. 
But you don't want to be so delusional that you think you can jump off like a cliff without wings and you're going to fly. Because what ends up happening is you end up, you know, going straight down and there's like a poof at the bottom of the, of the gorge, like wily e. Coyote trying to catch the roadrunner. And one day we were going to court in Connecticut for a sentencing. And she met me at my car at the garage and she had this big ass cup of coffee with her. And that's a major red flag for me. I'm not a coffee drinker. I haven't had any coffee probably since, I don't know, high school perhaps. Coffee is a crutch. It's a stimulant. It's a drug. You drink it because you don't have energy in the morning and you need help. If you're a defense lawyer and you need help, you're in trouble. We're supposed to bring the energy. We bring the trouble. Not be weak and need help to get it together for work. Plus, the coffee's disgusting. It's, it's, it smells. People are slurping it. <laughs> Women drink it and they get lipstick all over the side of the cup. It's, it's just gross. And they always spill it. Everybody, and listen, you're out there. I know most of you people drink coffee. You make me sick. And I know that you can have to admit to yourself that you, you spill it all the time. And it's gross, man. It's just a damn mess and it stinks. When I did the Gotti trial, every lawyer walked into the courtroom every morning with a giant coffee, except me. And this was surprising to me because they weren't doing shit in the case except watching me all, all day cross-examine. But somehow they needed the coffee to manage to stay awake to do it. Now, I had the lead defendant. I crossed every cooperator and everybody else, the other lawyers, maybe that ask a handful of questions. I don't trust coffee drinkers because they need help. Now, let's get back to the Connecticut trip with uh, my first associate. And uh, she shows up with her giant coffee because, of course, the co- it, can't be, it can't be a small cup. You ever seen somebody with a coffee that's a small cup? No. It's got to be like the size of like a bread box, like the size of a loaf of bread. She shows up wearing a white suit and the giant cup of coffee. And I look at her and I'm like, there's no way you're bringing that coffee into my car. And she looks at me like I'm nuts and tells me that she needs the coffee and that she promises not to spill it. Now, I know when tell, people tell you they're not going to spill their coffee, that means of course they're going to spill the coffee. Now, I'm very dubious. I let her in the car, but I tell her, do not mess up my leather seats with your goddamn stinky coffee. Of course, we're about half hour, 45 minutes into the trip, and she spills the coffee all over the place, and I am livid. I'm livid. To her credit, she was so mortified and scared about what she had done that she immediately wiped up the coffee with the seat of her white pants. She was just like kind of mushing into the seat because she couldn't stand up while we were driving and sort of like mop it up. And it was like sort of like that, uh, that bounty commercial. Uh, was it bounty where they, uh, they spill and they have like the regular uh, sheets and then they have the bounty sheets and the bounty sheets absorb so much more. They, I think Madge, was Madge the woman that was doing that at the diner? Anyway, so she's uh, uh, mopping up this coffee, like really grinding her butt into the seat and her, you know, can imagine what the bottom of her pants looked like. And I enjoyed that. We get to court and she had to take off her suit jacket and tie it around her waist to cover up the brown bottom of her pants. And I just was laughing the whole time. I didn't feel bad for her at all because listen, I warned you enough with the coffee. Now, the next associate I had uh, was a woman who went to UNC, University of North Carolina. I'm a Duke grad, so of course I didn't trust her at all. Um, You just, you know, if you go to UNC, you're obviously dumb. That's how I felt. That's how Duke people feel, and, you know, we're right all the time. 
So you decide for yourself if you think uh, she was smart. We're driving to Connecticut again to Hartford. It was a long drive for a different case. And she meets me and she's in the passenger seat. And I see that she's like eating this thing. I, I didn't know what it was. It looked like a mortar and a pestle. It fit into the palm of her hand. You know the mortar or the pestle that you had when you were in high school for like science experiments? It's got like that little bowl. I think that's the mortar and the pestle's like the little club that you use to grind up like a pill or, you know, turn something into powder. That's what she's got in her hand. And, and inside the bowl is what looked like colored sugar, like green or blue. I don't remember. And she's sticking the pestle, which is it's not huge, it's small, into the bowl, into the mortar. And because she had just licked the stick, the sugar is sticking to the end of the pestle, the club, the little stick. And then she's putting it back into her mouth and eating the sugar. And the idea is that you just keep eating the sugar that way. And eventually the sugar's gone, but that's not it. It doesn't end there. Apparently the mortar and the pestle, the stick and the bowl are also made of candy. So after you finish eating that sugar and presuming that you don't go into some kind of uh, diabetic coma, you have to eat the stick and the bowl as well. But they're hard. These aren't like, this isn't sugar. This is like some significant heft to this bowl and this little club. And I look at her and I'm like, you, you couldn't be stupider. Is that a word? Stupider? You couldn't be dumber. You're going to crack a tooth. She says, nah, this isn't my first candy rodeo. I know what I'm doing. I said, okay, suit yourself. So we're driving to Connecticut. She's chowing on this thing like it's nobody's business. And I'm just sitting there quietly waiting. About 45 minutes into the ride, crack. She stops eating and looks at me with tears in her eyes and says, I think I cracked my tooth. And of course I'm laughing because it's funny. And she did in fact crack her tooth. And she had to spend the rest of the day with a cracked tooth in court. And you know, I enjoyed it. Again, I told her so. She didn't listen and she needed a dentist. So I gave her my dentist. And this is how things have changed uh, for lawyers, for young lawyers over the years. When I was a young lawyer, I'm talking like, early nineties, mid nineties, when I was an associate, I was mortified to even list my name on the motions I wrote for the firm. I felt that it was my boss's client and I didn't want to appear presumptuous. Like I was taking any ownership of his client. After all, it was him who did all the hard work in his career that got this client to call us, call him. And I was just there doing the work. Anybody could have done the work, you know, the motions and things like that. So I was very respectful perhaps too much, but I just didn't want anybody to think that I was overstepping my bounds. Times have clearly changed since then. An associate of mine um, that left to go out on his own, despite never trying a case as a defense lawyer, um, had so much confidence that it just it couldn't be believed. The problem is that his skill set didn't match the confidence. And I'm convinced that these young kids have so much confidence because their parents are constantly telling them how smart they are, how wonderful they are, when the truth is they're really not so wonderful and really not so smart. So he left and a nice kid. And I took a look at his website after he went out on his own. And you'd think this was Clarence Darrow. Every case that he listed in the results section of the website were cases that the people had come to me and they couldn't afford me. So I gave them to him, which is fine because at least he did the work. I would have never done such a thing on my website when I went out on my own because Again, I just felt like, why should I be lift listing somebody else's clients for work that I did? But I'm, again, I'm overly sensitive about stuff like that. 
But then there were a bunch of high profile cases that were listed in this kid's results section. And it made it seem like he was the lawyer too in the case. And, you know, the truth is it was all me, which is, you know, a little weird. Uh, the best one though, is when he listed a very high profile trial. And when you click on the link, there's a video and the video was of me speaking to the press after, which I thought was weird because the trial, that trial had ended before I even hired this kid, but that was bizarre. But that's how uh, young lawyers are. And that's why I tell people when you're going to hire a lawyer, you better not just depend on their websites because sometimes they're, you know, they can really, you know, be full of shit. You have to confirm that they've actually tried the cases, that they've actually uh, done the work themselves, because otherwise, you know, they can write whatever they want on their website. Now, let's, uh, done talking about uh, my work for the week, and let's talk about some legal issue in the news is Trevor Bauer, the Dodgers pitcher who just got suspended for two years um, for apparently having a rough sex with some woman. We've gotten to the point in society where truth, facts, fairness, reality are not as important as perception, not as important as virtue signaling and wokeness. And, you know, the need to be accepted by the far left, by the politically correct mob, if you will, is the concern because they don't get what they want. They're capable of burning your store down. They're capable of burning your stadium down burning your city down. And we saw that with BLM during the George Floyd riots. George Floyd was killed illegally by a white cop and city after city burned at the urging of Black Lives Matter and Antifa. And very few politicians even stood up to them. Very few politicians even criticized them. I remember the, the Portland mayor was having his uh, city burned to a crisp every night. And he was saying, oh, you know, thank you. May I have another, sir? It was bizarre. I guess they were afraid to oppose it because they didn't want to be labeled a racist, even as their own cities were burning. Now, BLM was all over the NBA, the NFL. They were on uniforms. They were in the end zone in, uh, in the NFL in the playing fields. Uh, they were all over the place. Now, of course, BLM has been exposed as one giant grift. BLM activists have gone uh, uh, to court, been charged with fraud criminally. They've been revealed to be using donations to buy homes for their leaders and mansions. They won't say what they did with the $90 million in donations they got, and they just finally stopped fundraising. But you can't talk about it because if you do, you'll be on the wrong side of that political equation and you'll be deemed racist. And nobody wants that. Nobody wants to be canceled. So poor Trevor Bauer. I don't mean to say poor Trevor Bauer because I'm sure he deserves plenty of the misfortune. He doesn't seem like he's the the most appealing guy. But when it comes to Trevor Bauer, now remember he was suspended 10 months ago with pay as they were investigating these domestic violence allegations. He never had a chance though, notwithstanding the facts. The facts don't really seem to matter here as Major League Baseball has become such a leftist institution now. You could see the changes coming in baseball when they got that new commissioner, that Rob Manfred, he's such a weenie. And one of the first things he did is he put that phantom runner on second base to start extra innings, 10th inning, so that the games would end faster instead of them actually playing until somebody scores a run. And it's you know so sad that these poor players that work seven months of the year and their average salary is $4.4 million, we don't want them to have to work you know any harder than they absolutely the bare minimum have to be. So naturally, Major League Baseball being completely, uh, they punished Trevor Bauer as much as they could. And they ensured, I think, the end of his career because he's going to get another two years of suspension. Forget the last 10 months. He doesn't get that retroactively added. He doesn't get credit for that. 
So it's another two years. So basically, he's going to miss almost three seasons of baseball. By the time he finishes his um, suspension, he's going to be almost 33, or I think at least 33. And that's already old for a starting pitcher. And what team would ever have the nerve to sign him? Because if you do, you know, again, you're going to have the left woke mob will burn your place down because you have to believe women. And, you know, understand this. This was consensual sex is where it all started from. Now, I'm not saying that sex wasn't rough or that it can't be offensive to some people because that could be. I mean, I'm not here to put all my values on people one way or another, but there are many things that are offensive to me. And who are we to decide that a guy who chokes a woman during sex, during consensual sex, is very rough with her is bad, when at the same time we're being told that guys with penises and without boobs can pretend to be women and compete against women in sports. I mean, one's right and one's wrong. Who's to decide? Who are we to decide that rough consensual sex is bad, but 16-year-old girls should be able to cut their breasts off because they decide one week that perhaps they were born the wrong sex? Now, I get that these women who have come out against Bauer are claiming that you know the rough parts of the sex, while it was consensual at times, at some point it became non-consensual. So I understand that there's a, you know, some difference there. He just went too far is what they're claiming. But each of these women, and there's a new accuser that came out on Friday, they claim that they kept dating him after he had the non-consensual sex with them. That's bizarre. That's not how it works. When the first accuser came out, she tried to get a restraining order against Bauer for reasons that make no sense because this was all public. It's not like Bauer would go anywhere near her. What would be the point of making a public spectacle of the case? Well, if you want money and you want to get the the public on your side and you want to force perhaps Bauer to have to testify in a hearing, you want to get it all out so you can make money. And she did this. It made no sense. Um, But as I said, she wanted money. And this is a text that she sent to her Alcoholics Anonymous sponsor, naturally. Uh, She was an alcoholic. She wrote this about Bauer. Give me $50 million and just slap my clit. So she's making a big joke of of her accusation against the guy. She clearly wants money. It's really funny. Uh, This is a guy who's at the very top of his game. He was the reigning Cy Young Award winner. He's the best pitcher pretty much in baseball. And this is a big fucking joke to you? Just because you want money that you can't earn on your own? So you want to take it from some guy who worked his ass off his entire life to get where he is? She didn't go to the police when it happened. You know, supposedly multiple times it happened. She didn't go to the police. She's joking about money. And, you know, after she failed in getting that restraining order, the judge found that she wasn't credible. And this is what the female judge said, quote, when she set boundaries, Bauer respected them. That's what she said in court. She ruled that Bauer, in his conduct with the accuser, quote, did not coerce her or threaten her into sexual activity. She said that the the testimony established that the accuser's Instagram direct messages and text messages to Bauer indicated to him that she wanted rough sex the first encounter and rougher sex in the second. And after she got roughed up by him, she was begging for rougher sex. So how is this guy even potentially, you know, guilty of any of this or even civilly responsible? And Major League Baseball had all that information from the incident. It was all out in the public. It was all vetted in open court and found to be lacking by a female judge. Bizarre, right? And they still suspended him so much. Now, naturally, uh, a new accuser waited until this suspension of Bauer to come out on Friday, and it just 
jumped out of the shadows and is claiming that Bauer also abused her. And she clearly wants money too. She's got a lawyer who sues people for money over sex issues. And Bauer and his representatives claim that she had, this woman had sent him 139 sexually explicit photos and videos since 2019 after they had already broken up. So how could you possibly believe this woman? Bauer uh, on Friday posted several text message exchanges between them in 2019 and 20, where she kept reaching out to him even when he stopped texting her back. She's begging for sex. Finally, he said to her, listen, if you don't stop, if I, if I, if I see you again, I'm going to go to jail for murder. Basically saying, stop. If I see you, I'm going to kill you enough. She claimed it was a threat. When it's clear, he just wanted her to stop contacting her. She claimed that she had suffered an eating disorder while dating Bauer and that she had low self-esteem because of it. And that prompted her to make choices she wouldn't have made if she was healthier. Well, maybe when you meet a guy that you don't know and you're begging him for rough sex time and time again, maybe it's the low self-esteem that puts you into that place. It's not Trevor Bauer's fault. He was just doing his, his job in the role that he was in. Now, she's clearly looking for a payday or some publicity or both. I don't know why. Bauer's got the money. He's never going to settle and she's never going to win anything because the sex was consensual. There is a 0% chance any jury would ever award her anything in damages because she's claiming for rough sex after she claimed that he had violated her against her wishes. This is how the world works. When you have no credibility as a witness or as a victim, you lose in court. So why would a lawyer even take this case? It's clear they're not going to win any money. It's for publicity. They want the publicity. They figure, well, I'm not going to make any money on this case, but if somebody out there, a high-profile victim, sees my name, maybe they'll hire me in the future and I can get paid then. If this victim, this so-called victim, had contacted me, I wouldn't have gone anywhere near the case. And I've sued people on behalf of uh, uh, sexual assault victims and collected millions of dollars in settlements. How desperate do you have to be, though, for free publicity that you'd get yourself involved in this mess? And I'm going to give you an example how it works with these types of cases. A few years ago, I represented an investment banker who was accused of raping his administrative assistant. She went to the police immediately, and unlike uh, the woman that uh, women that accused Bauer. And that's not dispositive if you don't go to the police uh, right after you're supposedly sexually assaulted, because the truth is women have all sorts of reasons why they don't go. They're afraid, they're embarrassed, uh, they have reasons. But if you do go, it's certainly indicative of someone that feels they were um, a victim of a crime, and it helps. In this case, with my client and his administrative assistant, the police wired her up right away, and she got my client to confess raping her. He said that he misread the signs and obviously made a mistake and didn't, you know, thought that's what she wanted. He then gets arrested and immediately gave an oral and written confession. So now there's three confessions. And he was facing 25 years in jail for a violent rape. A year to the day later, one year later, all the physical evidence in the case was tossed. The prosecutor was crying in court and yelling at me. And that happens with, with some fair regularity, by the way, is that female prosecutors are yelling and crying, uh, sometimes at the same time with me in court. And my client was allowed to plead to a non-sex misdemeanor. Now, what started the case to unravel? The so-called victim was joking on Facebook the next day after she was supposedly raped. What was she joking about? Her favorite sexual position with her boyfriend. 
the day after she claimed that she was raped. She also had massive financial problems, and she sued my client for money. And that was that. The prosecutor knew that she'd get her ass kicked at trial, and they gave away the case for, for nothing. I could win the Trevor Bauer criminal case with, like, my eyes closed. Except there's never going to be a criminal case because the prosecutors knew that they couldn't possibly win, and they didn't even attempt to bring criminal charges against Bauer. I mean, they investigated and said no. Now, regardless, Major League Baseball waited 10 months to suspend Bauer, which is pretty offensive. They also, and as I said, suspended him for two years going forward, which is awful. He's not going to be worth anything, and no one's going to go near him when he's eligible to come off the suspension list. And Bauer's suspension is way longer than any other players in history for any domestic violence uh, allegation, including players who were charged and convicted of the crime of domestic violence. The longest prior suspension was one season. Bauer more than doubled that and was never charged with a crime. This is some really sick shit. The same people who tell you it's okay for Leah Thomas, a man, to swim against women competitively are telling you that Trevor Bauer has to be canceled even though he's never been charged with a crime. All of his accusers have uh, no credibility. They all want money from him. And it was all consensual sex. So the guy who's at the very top of his game, it gets his life taken away from him because some money grubbers who accuse them with no credibility, they just happen to have the good fortune to have you know, a society and Major League Baseball willing to believe them no matter what. Major League Baseball folded like uh, cheap lawn furniture. And I would tell you as men, be careful out there. The world is filled with women who will sleep with you to improve their lives, to take from you what they can't earn themselves. Kids that go to college, boys, be careful. You know, you're going to have to get some kind of written permission before you have sex because they'll accuse you of the same stuff. It happens all the time. I've represented kids that have gone through this. Anyway, I'm going to shift dramatically now to uh, the latest uh, Trump, DeSantis, Donnybrook. Now, the world, uh, the country is further sliding into the toilet uh, this past week. Biden can't pronounce words. He's still shaking hands with ghosts. Um, but somebody in his name, because he doesn't, can't even uh, understand what's going on, formed a disinformation governance board, which will target supposed misinformation aimed at key points of vulnerability for Democrats, such as uh, Southern border migrants, as well as to monitor and prepare for disinformation threats as this year's midterm elections get closer. That's going to be run by the Department of Homeland Security. And that's funny because Homeland Security is doing such a great job of letting in millions of illegals uh, through our southern border, flooding it with making almost no effort to stop it. So they clearly have so much free time, so they should be in charge of fake news. Now, the Democrats who gave you CNN and MSNBC, they're now in charge of stopping fake news instead of creating it, as usual. This, this is what they said. The spread of disinformation can affect border security, American safety during disasters, and public trust in our democratic institutions. You know what can also uh, affect border security? Not doing your job and letting them come in. Um, Homeland Security said that the board will protect privacy, civil rights, and civil liberties as part of its duties. And the board is going to be led by this lunatic woman named Nina Jankowicz. She's a so-called disinformation expert. And she's also singing on YouTube like a mental patient. You can find her. She's a disinformation expert, but she also claimed that Hunter Biden's laptop was fake news. She was tweeting during the debates, uh, Trump and Biden in uh, October of 2020, 
And she just kept on saying that it was fake, that it was a, a Russian influence operation. She's tweeting this. She's lying because we all know that the laptop was real. Even the New York Times said so. And this is the woman that they picked to be the head of, of this organization, of this ministry of truth. I mean, it's just completely bizarre. You know who else had a ministry of truth? The Nazis. Hitler had one. He had Goebbels, who was the minister of propaganda, who just, you know, if you tell a lie enough, eventually people start to believe it. Now, why did this suddenly come out out of the blue? Well, one, because they know the Democrats are going to get destroyed in November because the country has completely fallen apart. I mean, completely and utterly fallen apart. And secondly, Elon Musk, the uh, creator of Tesla, who is a liberal, he's a liberal, uh, but except in today's insane leftist democratic landscape, he appears conservative in comparison. This is a guy who basically brought electric cars uh, to the forefront and finally got people to start buying them. This guy is as left as they come. But he dared to say after buying Twitter that he was going to stop the censorship on Twitter. And the Democrats lost their mind because they realized they, that they had this massive propaganda advantage. They were censoring all conservative voices, and they can't lose that advantage before the elections. So suddenly now you're going to have somebody, a leftist lunatic, who's going to reign in Elon Musk. And the, the reason I'm telling you all this and putting it in the context of Trump and DeSantis is this is what really grinds my gears. Have you heard a word about this huge issue from Donald Trump? It's kind of an important issue, don't you think? You know, Trump, he's the, the, the purported leader of the Republican Party who's supposedly running for president after losing the last election. Now, he's the guy who either lost fairly to the worst presidential candidate ever, Joe Biden, mainly because Trump was so hated by everyone in, in America other than um, his imbecilic base. Or he's the guy who got swindled out of the election in large part because he had four years to put into place policies to stop election fraud, but didn't do it. Why? Well, he's dumb. Uh, he hired people who hate his guts and worked against him every day, or he was too busy fighting people on Twitter than then actually getting things done. Not a word from Trump about this new ministry of truth, but you know who did open his mouth about it? Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Quote, they want to be able to put out false narratives without people being able to speak out and fight back, DeSantis said. We're not going to let Biden get away with this one, so we'll be fighting back. You cannot have a ministry of truth in this country, DeSantis said. Obviously, he's right. Quote, we believe it's essential that individual Floridians and Americans are able to speak out against the false narratives trying to be jammed down our throats by this regime. And he added, talking about the Democrats, they want to be able to advocate for COVID lockdowns. They want to be able to be an advocate for school closures. But then when you speak out, they want to stifle dissent. We know they actually appointed somebody to lead it, who herself has been an advocate for COVID lockdowns, who herself put out this information about the Hunter Biden laptop, who supported Russia collusion, conspiracy theories, DeSantis said. It's not acceptable. That's what he said. Now, DeSantis is on top of it. Again, he's just one of 50 governors in America, but he acts like a national voice. It's a voice that I think is really needed. Now, Trump, Instead of actually speaking about it intelligently, he had his lackeys come out and bash DeSantis. Uh, he had Roger Stone, a guy who I know and have had dinner with, I've had on my radio show when I had one. He had uh, Roger Stone called DeSantis an idiot. Now, I like Roger, but Jesus Christ, man, uh, Trump pardoned after 
uh, Stone was convicted of obstructing justice and lying under oath, and he was going to go to jail if Trump didn't pardon him. Stone called DeSantis dumb and disloyal, I, I guess because Trump had endorsed DeSantis for the Florida governor's race four years ago, a race that DeSantis barely won by like 0.4%, like a few thousand votes. And he won against that crackhead, that Andrew Gillum, who was found unconscious and naked with a male hooker in a hotel room with vomit all over himself and the floor. Imagine if, if Gillum had won that race, what Florida would look like now, probably a lot like the floor of that cheap motel room. And now DeSantis is daring to toy with the idea of running for president, which if his handling of Florida is, is any clue, he very well may be able to save America. But according to Roger Stone, which means Trump, DeSantis is an idiot. Of course, he went to Yale undergrad where he captained the university baseball team and graduated cum laude, magna cum laude, excuse me. He also graduated with honors from Harvard Law School. While at Harvard, he earned a commission in the U.S. Navy as a JAG officer. He served in Iraq as an advisor to the U.S. Navy SEAL commander. Okay, this is a serious dude. His military decorations include the Iraq Campaign Medal of the Bronze Star for meritorious service. Yet for some reason, Trump calls him dumb and disloyal. Now, Trump, on the other hand, used a bone spurs diagnosis in his foot to avoid going to Vietnam. Let's be honest. Trump is dumb. He's dumb on any intellectual issue. Doesn't, didn't know the difference between Hezbollah and Hamas when he ran for president. Now, I knew that the day that Hamas and Hezbollah were created, I knew the difference. I mean, geez, it's not difficult. You just have to read something besides the, the finance section and the comics in a newspaper. Trump didn't know the difference between Iran's Quds Force and the Kurds, yet he's calling DeSantis, the Harvard and Yale grad, an idiot. He's also calling DeSantis disloyal, even as Trump let American cities burn during the George Floyd riots. Trump refused to pardon his supporters who were arrested for the January 6th riots at the Capitol. Now, remember, he told his supporters to descend on the Capitol and protest, and he let them sit in prison after. Now, granted, many of them didn't get arrested until after Trump was out of office, but many did. He could have pardoned them. He chose not to. He chose to pardon instead rappers Kodak Black and Lil Wayne. Lil Wayne, not to be confused with Little Wayne. Um, he also pardoned Solomon Melgan a Florida eye doctor who was serving a 17-year sentence for a $73 million Medicaid fraud conviction. He was found guilty in 2017 for falsifying patient records, falsifying claims. Prosecutors uh, claimed that between 2008 and 2013, he became the nation's highest paid Medicaid doctor, building his practice by giving elderly patients unnecessary eye injections and laser blasts on their retinas that they compared to torture. He was also a major fundraiser for, not Trump, for Democrats. Why? Why would he pardon him instead of his own supporters? That's loyalty for you. While Trump is fighting with Piers Morgan and endorsing uh, Dr. Oz, uh, who's uh, a leftist uh, who supported a 15-year-old girl cutting off her breasts and transitioning in high school uh, so that she could become a boy, when Trump is not blowing zillions of dollars on his stupid social network, that truth social, whatever, he raised money from people and he cared so much about it that he posted one time and then stopped. He even forgot the name of it the other day and called it Truth Central. Truth. Truth. Anyway, uh, Trump is uh, disloyal in other ways. He was 
trashing Israel and its former prime minister Netanyahu because Netanyahu had the gall to congratulate Joe Biden after the election. And Trump described him as disloyal, even though, as I said, no one is less loyal than Trump. What was Bibi supposed to do? Uh, say to uh, the American elected president, you know, screw you, Trump is still president. What do you think would have happened to his country? He had some responsibility to Israel. Trump, of course, doesn't see it that way because everything is about him. Everything is about what he can get from you, not what he can give to you. He doesn't care about the country. He cared about himself, period. Period. Anyway, DeSantis is actually working to affect the change that Trump promised he'd give us, but he didn't. DeSantis signed a bill which increases the penalty for ballot harvesting from a first-degree misdemeanor to a third-degree felony, punishable by up to five years in prison, a $5,000 fine, up to five years probation. And ballot harvesting, if you don't know, is the practice in which political operatives, they collect absentee ballots um, from voters' homes, they fill them out, they drop them off at a polling place or an election office in a bunch. That's one of the ways how Democrats have been caught trying to steal elections. DeSantis's bill also requires the Department of State to strengthen ID requirements for mail-in ballots, to strengthen election security measures by requiring voter rolls to be annually reviewed and updated, and he established this Office of Election Crimes and Security to investigate election law violations. Did Trump do any of that in four years? Nothing. Nothing. DeSantis is also ridding Florida schools of woke books which contain indoctrination and critical race theory. He had math books. If you can believe, they're actually trying to brainwash, uh, brainwash kids with math. He had books removed and the woke content replaced before letting them back into schools. This is how sick the leftists are who control the schools there. One example in a math book shows a bar graph with the heading, Measuring Racial Prejudice by Age, and a second bar graph titled, Measuring Racial Prejudice by Political Identification. You can guess who uh, they claim the racists are. This isn't a math book where they're supposed to be studying graphs. This is the kind of shit that they put in there. Come on. This is like insidious brainwashing and it's got to end. Trump could have done something. He didn't. DeSantis actually did. <clears throat> and Trump had another one of his uh, idiot minions at uh, Jenna Elfman. Jenna Elfman, that lawyer, she's the pretend constitutional scholar who got fired nine years ago from her first job as a low-level prosecutor in some podunk Colorado town due to incompetence, and then she lied about it, of course. Trump had her trash DeSantis after he slammed Disney for their woke partisan behavior, at the same time while they're reaping all sorts of tax breaks from the state of Florida. They shouldn't be political. You know, they're taking tax money. You know, we don't get to take tax money. They should just shut their mouths and entertain people at their parks. But no, not only did she slam DeSantis at Trump's behest, because you know that Trump had her do it, but she offered to represent Disney against DeSantis for free. First of all, who in the hell would want Jenna Elfman as your lawyer? This is an imbecile. I wouldn't have her represent, uh, you know, my dog if he bit the mailman. She's so dumb that she makes that lunatic Sidney Powell, the, the Kraken lawyer, remember, release the Kraken, except there was no Kraken. She makes Sidney Powell look like a genius in comparison. But that's Trump and his, 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 his love of loyalty, which goes only one way. I mean, why would you want to go against what DeSantis is doing with Disney if you're a Republican? He told his supporters to stay home for the Georgia Senate races like a month after he lost to Biden, and they did. 
And now Democrats have a 51 to 50 advantage in the Senate with Kamala Harris breaking the tie. He loves loyalty, but he has that Jenna Elfman Ellis rip DeSantis. You know who's never once criticized Trump? Ron DeSantis or any of his minions. Anyway, it's getting to be ridiculous, comically ridiculous to still support Trump at this point. If he wins in 2024, you know we're going to get Omarosa back in the White House, Jeff Sessions, the military is going to continue to ignore him and not do his bidding. We know that. One general hated Trump so much that he came out and said that he would tip China off if Trump ever dared to attack China. China's response, they were so thankful that they just unleashed COVID on America. I mean, now look, I'm not saying that that's right. That's, that's awful. Um, and the guy should frankly be hanged if it was up to me. But nobody wants to follow Trump over the mountain. They don't trust them. And that's a problem. Trump also let Fauci have total control over our country and lock us down once uh, COVID hit. And then he didn't fire him and he had all the time to fire him. And Trump lied and claimed that Biden was the one who started the COVID mandates. Trump also downplayed and lied about COVID. And he admitted that he lied and said that he did it because he didn't want to scare people. Well, guess what? Sometimes you should actually tell the truth about stuff like this. We want four more years of this. We want that drunk Rudy Giuliani in his chicken costume singing Bad to the Bone on TV. You want him to be our attorney general with his uh, hair dye uh, rolling down his face? The only way Biden wins the election is if Trump runs against him. Although I can't imagine that Biden will even be capable of speaking full sentences in two years. I mean, I, I really think he's pretty close to being fully gone in two years is a long time for someone with pretty significant dementia. But people hate Trump that much 18 months later that his, his favorability ratings are negative, which is rare. If you have a president that follows you that's so bad, like Biden is, who's completely destroyed the country, which he has, usually you look back fondly and forget all the bad things that the prior president did. Not with Trump. People really hate him. So it just doesn't make any sense to, uh, to have him in office again. I mean, you'd have to be absolutely nuts. You've got a smart, industrious guy like DeSantis to save the country. Trump had four years and accomplished nothing but win Twitter wars and make an ass out of himself and get some of those sick burns against uh, Mika and Joe. That Biden was such a worse, is such a worse president than Trump doesn't mean that you have to praise Trump. DeSantis is everything that he, uh, Trump claims that he is, but he isn't. Now, I'm running out of time. Um, I have another point that I wanted to bring up that just makes me nuts um, regarding what's going on with Iran and our continued appeasement of Iran, even as they're just openly you know, trying to <clears throat> kill Americans and kill our allies. And what I'm going to talk about next week about this is the racism of low expectations. And this is what's been happening. It's not just in America. It's all over the world. Nobody expects anything from these radical Muslims. They don't expect them to act civilly. They don't act them to act like human beings. And because of that, they get away with murder and the savages understand that. You don't expect us to act human, so why should we act human? And we don't punish them. And I want to get into that next week because it's driving me absolutely bonkers. I know you're thinking, I don't want to hear any more about Iran. Well, guess what? You're here, you're listening, you're going to hear a little more about it. Go to my website, beyondthelegallimit.com, if you'd like to send me emails and some suggestions about what you'd like to hear about. I think we're going to start having some guests soon because, frankly, I'm, I'm really tired of hearing myself speak. I said that before and I mean it. We have to start getting some interesting people in here 
to uh, do the episode with me. But thank you for tuning in. Jeffrey Lickman for Beyond the Legal Limit. See you next week.